When I was a very young pastor, there was a man in my church whose name was Muddle Mackay. Now, I thought Alan and Trisha wouldn't be here, so he's going to say I have the worst Scottish accent, so I know. <laughs> anyway, Muddle Mackay was renowned for his prayers. Um, the young people in our church would actually time Myrtle's prayers to see how long he would go before taking a breath. He would pray like this. Our most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you for all of thy blessings, us were directed through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for her. And then he would finally get to the point where he would draw a breath and then carry on to another part of his theological treatise. I want this morning to draw you to a passage of scripture in which I hear the Apostle Paul talking like Mordomachai. So in Ephesians chapter 1, here's what Paul says, and he says it in one sentence. That's, that's my point. He doesn't say it um, you know, evenly or with a pace or a rhythm. He just dumps it all out. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him regarding his plan of the fullness of times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. All of that in one breath, if you like, as Paul writes his letter. If you want to dive into theology, Ephesians 1 is the place to start. Now, in the, in the circles that I pay attention to these days, um, there's, there's some debate about whether systematic theology or kind of biblical theology is the paradigm that we should use. Uh, systematic theology is one that, that basically parses out our beliefs according to topics. And so you'll have the doctrine of, the doctrine of. Biblical theologians would rather see the whole picture and would see the whole story and then understand uh, each of the aspects of the story. When I went to school, there were people who were both, and they were both uh, brilliant and godly scholars. So Jim Packer, who wrote Knowing God, was a systematic theologian. He nailed everything down to a doctrine, a category. Bruce Waltke was a biblical theologian, and I loved it when they would argue with each other. At Regent College, there was a lovely collegial spirit where people of vastly, perhaps, different theological bents, all within evangelicalism, would, would go at each other and would help all of us um, to sort through our perspectives, listening to wise and, and godly counselors. I came from an undergrad degree that basically had one way of thinking, and there were other seminaries in the same city of Philadelphia. We were not allowed to go there. Now, it's not that they were doing anything like 
spooky or different or evil. They just had a different notion about how you understand scripture and how you sort through it and, and find your way in the Christian life. I'm going this morning to take you to the end of the little passage. I hope you we are. Because after Paul has, has gone through all of those wonderful excursions about what God has done, and it's almost to the word or to the phrase um, that it's some, the whole chapter is ready to be mined to understand what is this whole story of salvation that Paul understands and is writing to the, the Ephesians. When he has said all of that, he says, So I pray for you. The end of Ephesians 1, having gone through all of those things, he says, so I pray for you. And with all of these things in mind, he says, I pray that you will know three things. And this prayer of Paul is something that is then commended to the church throughout all of the age of which we also now are part. And so what Paul prays for the Ephesians, he prayed for us. And we should pray for ourselves because Paul is the one who has this incredible library of understanding. And if he knows all of these things are true and says, so the implication is, I pray specifically for you that you will know three things. So let me guide you through those three things today. Paul says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now that's his, his little preface, which we'll, we'll think about every time. He's going to say what he wants God to help us to know, but the way he accesses God in um, requesting that God give us this knowledge is that he says, um, I'm praying that God will first of all give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I think that's a Trinitarian formula because he talks about the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give to you a spirit of wisdom. I think he's referring to the Holy Spirit. I think that's the reference that may be implied there. And he's saying that he's really calling to the whole Trinity um, that we may receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Two modes of knowledge that Paul's asking for before we get into the actual details. He says, I want you to have wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is not just knowledge. Wisdom is grown-up knowledge. It's things that are learned, both academically and practically. Things that become part of the warp and woof of our lives. And Paul says, I, I, I would like you to become certain kinds of people We'll call them wise people. You will have received wisdom from the Holy Spirit, but also revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is knowledge that you didn't know before. So wisdom is grown-up knowledge. Revelation is what you didn't know before. Where something dawns on you and you say, I never knew that. I never thought of that. Do you know that the Christian life is a wonderful life full of that kind of revelation. And it never stops from whatever source. It never stops. I read a new book and I think, I never thought of that. 
Something dawns on me. I read a passage of scripture and I say, I've probably read this 50 or 100 times. I never saw that. That was a revelation to me. We also believe that God continues to speak truth to his children. And we carefully listen for what the Spirit may be saying to us. And he may say something to us that comes from, as far as we're concerned, nowhere. It's not something I knew, not something somebody told me. It is something that by the Spirit I come to apprehend. I, I, I come to, to conceptualize. So um, Paul's hoping that the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will get involved in telling us three things, showing us things that we maybe didn't know, or growing up the kind of knowledge that we already did have. You want me to have a drink of water, don't you? So here's the first. Giving you the same um, sort of preface there. The first thing he's praying that we will know, he says, so that you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance among the saints. What is that about? Know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Various commentators will, will see this various ways. And they will think of it sometimes as being our inheritance, the inheritance um, owned by the saints. I think the better way to understand this and, and the more accurate way to understand it is to say that I want you to know what are the riches of the glory of God's inheritance or the, the son's inheritance, which is the saints. So the father has given something to his son as his inheritance, and it's us. There, there is also an incredible inheritance that is ours by the work of Christ. But I think what Paul is saying is there's a way to understand that the delight of the Trinity is that the Son receives from his Father a whole troop of um, the spoils of battle, if you like, that we are given to the Son because of his victory, and the Son is eagerly waiting for the fact that we are his, and we need to live into the hope of that incredible um, enlightenment. We sometimes disappoint one another, many times. We sometimes, we're sure, disappoint God, although he keeps on telling us that he loves us, loves us, loves us. But Jesus is eagerly waiting for us. Remember before the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, I've, I've earnestly longed for this time with you. His love for his children, his love for his brothers, the disciples, his love for his church, um, it, it's un, unmeasured as far as we're concerned. What is the son doing now? According to John 14, he's, he's building a place for us. What is that place? It's the beautiful dwelling that the Son is just preparing and appointing for us. It's like the Son is saying, I, I have this wonderful place to build, and it's a place for these children whom I'm waiting for. And just like when the bridegroom returns for the bride, the bridegroom takes the bride back to the place he has been preparing for her. 
The sun is preparing that place for us. That place is the epitome of home. It's the end of all of our longings. It's the greatest thing that we have yearned for and haven't even understood what it is. The sun inherits us into that wonderful provision that he is spending his time about. Let me go to the second one here. I think I actually went to the second one too soon. So I'll back it up. There it is. So put that on hold for a minute. That was the second point. First point. I just want to see if you're, making, if you're paying attention. <laughs> the first thing that he prays we will know is this. So that you will ho- know what is the hope of his calling. We as, as followers of Christ are people of incredible hope. Um, we live in a, in a world, in a society that is devoid of hope so many times. We see the, the, the missteps of humankind. We see um, the misunderstandings of humankind. We see the failures of human ingenuity. And hope seems to die all around us in our world. We are people of hope. Um, we are people who are relentlessly hopeful about the future. Um, when we spend our time with our Father in prayer, we exercise that hope every time. Um, we, we speak into that hope. Even when things are difficult around us, we hope into what God is doing. And everything about the Christian gospel is about the hope that we may have because of what Christ has done and because of the dear love that our Father has for us. So Paul says, first thing I, I want God to do for you is to, is to solidify that hope that you will know the hope of your calling, that you will be shedding doubt that creeps in many, many times, that worries many, many times. It needs to be usurped by the hope of Christianity, by the hope of the Lord Jesus and what he has done for us, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, deja vu. No, I won't go over this again. The third thing is that, and, and this is the one that stops me cold. He says, I want you to know three things. Know, you, know the hope that you have. Know the glory of this wonderful inheritance that the Son is waiting for. And thirdly, wait for it. I want you to know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. The surpassing greatness of his power. I want you to know the power of Christ. If he ended there, we would be saying, wow, but what is that? He then unpacks it into an incredible description. And according to Paul's interpretation, the power that we can have is like this. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might strength of his might. So we must be talking about some incredibly strong phenomenon. The strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. The power that is available to us that Paul wants God to grant us is the power that's like the power 
that raised Jesus from the dead and established him in heaven. How much power did it take to raise Jesus from the dead? How dead was he? Not being facetious, how dead was he? Stone cold dead and also eternally dead and spiritually dead, separated from his father. Not only did the power of God raise him, steal him back out of that, but it, it, it gave him the authority to reign over everything. Enough power to bring him back from death. Enough power to conquer every other single um, person, um, movement, spirit, dominion, domain that would threaten him. Um, the power of God did that. And Paul says, I want you to experience that power. Again, if, if we sit with that for a moment and say, what is that to know that power? And the language of the passage that we're looking at here is that Paul says, I want you to know the same power working in the same way in you. He doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't say, um, you can just take a little piece of that power, um, or maybe that there is only a piece of that power that's available to you. He says, I want you to know this power. By the way, I want you to know this power the same way that it was working when it was exerted to bring Jesus back from the dead and establish him above everything that would be a pretender for divine authority. I want you to know that. Do you know that power? I mean, we'd all say, sometimes a bit, right? But what Paul is saying, and he's saying it as a prayer for all of us who follow everybody that listened to him the first time, is that that power is available to us. God still moves miraculously. God still does miracles. God still moves powerfully. How does he do that? He does it as we pray. So John observed that it sounds like this week is a week of prayer answers. Delightful answers to prayer, right? That's the power of God. It's the power of God when someone who is sick gets better. It's the power of God when someone is oppressed by demonic influences gets released. It's the power of God when the gospel penetrates the, the wall of someone's indifference or resistance and brings them into the glorious light of the truth. It's a power that turns lights on. Good timing. Fantastic. So we're, we're wanting to learn about prayer. We're wanting to learn how to pray, what to pray. And this is a prayer that commends itself. It's one of those principal apostolic prayers in the New Testament. And it is not random. It's not as though Paul says, by the way, there are three things I'm praying for you. Out of the 57 that I could, I'm going to pray these. No, he says, I want three things for you. I want you to know your hope. I want you to be fixed in that hope, not doubting. I want you to anticipate the, the glorious inheritance of Jesus that is you and get excited about where you're going and how you're going. And then finally, I want you to know an existential power that's just 
like the power, in fact, sourced in the power of the resurrection of Jesus, working in you in the same way. Would you like some power? And we say, absolutely. And we avail ourselves of that power. We do every time we pray. That, that's why I bring this up in, in thinking about prayer. How do we get access to the, to the power of God? By prayer. Do our prayers matter? My goodness, they matter. It's as though God says, I have, this, I have some power for you. Oh, no, no. I don't have just a little power for you. I've got all this power at my disposal. I will make it at your disposal if you ask for it. Are there terms? Of course. Um, as Tiago said, you can't be living a kind of a sinful life and expect to get what God promises you. You've got to be clean before him. You also need to be people of that hope and faith that says, I do believe and I am trusting into the power of prayer um, as I live my journey towards that glorious inheritance that is before me in, in heaven and in the kingdom to come. I want to finish with a story I've told quite a long time ago um, about this, this whole notion of the power of prayer. Um, I, I gave a talk like this at a Billy Graham School of Evangelism, and I dare to ask the question, um, is it possible that we just don't need this power? And I had someone stand up and shout at me and say, how dare you? And I said, I dare, because as I look around, as I look at my life, I don't need this power. I remember after one really great series of, of worship services, I sat with our worship pastor, and he looked at me and said, Ian, who did that? He said, I said, what? He said, those three services. Who did that? I said, well, I think you would had a lot to do. He said, that's the very point. We did it. Did we need the Spirit of God for any of it? Truthfully, no. It was a group of incredibly skilled musicians and vocalists and a well-crafted talk. But did we really need the Spirit? So I think in the opposite, we ought to ask, how much different could it be if we really did always depend on the Spirit? And I think we are, we're experiencing a movement of the Spirit here. It's delightful, but there's more. And there, it's, it's like a limitless, abundant supply, according to Paul's prayer. Let's ask for the power. Let's be willing to use the power as we are careful custodians of, of such a great commodity. Many years ago, I was in a, a place called Ranchi in India, and I was to speak to a conference there. Um, it, it's, it's just funny. There were 300,000 people there. They, they, don't, they call it lack. They, they have such big numbers for everything that they, they have a, a new category in their currency called lack. There were 300,000 people gathered in fields. The irony, the stupidity was the next day I had to talk to a seminar and there were only 30,000 people there. And I thought, why am I going to waste my time with 30,000 people? Where the, where's the rest of the 300,000? So this was all outside. Fields and fields and fields of faces. And it was the rainy season in Ranchi. And I remember thinking, 
that the few days that I was there ahead of the, the conference, it rained every day. Like, not just rained, but torrential rain. The, the Bend the palm tree down, but batten down all of the businesses, and everybody go inside and take shelter. And then, like, one hour later, it would stop raining, and the sun would come out every single day. So I remember thinking as we were being driven out to, to the stage of this great rally, I wonder what they're going to do if it rains. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know, maybe they know it's not going to rain. So anyway, we got there, we were all um, sitting up on the stage, and Paul, who was my host, um, Paul Dunakarin, um, he, he looked out the crowd and he guided us in a little prayer on the platform, and then it started to rain. And so it was a time in my life, which is pretty characteristic, where I was full of doubt and full of criticism and so on. When it started to rain, I thought, you idiot. Like, who plans an outside meeting for 300,000 people in a torrential rainstorm? Paul stood up. And he said, Father, please stop the rain. And I thought, now I know you're a nutcase. <laughs> 300,000 people are about to doubt that there's a God. The rain is not going to stop. I swear to you, the rain stopped instantly. It stopped, like, totally. So I was as condemned in my spirit as I ever have been about anything. And Paul stepped up again and he said, do you know why your father stopped the rain? He stopped it because he loves you and he has wonderful gifts for you. It flowed into a time of prayer, of miracles, of healing, the like of which I've never seen before or after. And in another meeting not long after that, we, we were together and someone asked him if the story was true that the rain had stopped. And he said, I have a Canadian truthful pastor who will witness to you that it really did stop. It did stop. Why? The power of God, it takes nothing for God to stop the rain. He's already challenged nature in reversing death in the person of his son. He will do things when they are appropriate for his glory and our growth and the expansion of his kingdom he will do amazing things if we dare to ask him and don't shrink back from longing for an infusion of Holy Spirit power.